Revelation chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 18 this morning. I just wanna read through this letter from Jesus to the church. This is what it says, starting in verse 18. It says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, and then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any further burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These are the words of Jesus. If this is your first time to be at church in a while, you picked a good day. to be back. If you had a friend that invited you, you can give them the look right now like, what in the world have you brought me into? Um, why am I here? You know, on Thursday, I was driving my boys to school, and I was praying for them and their day, and they said, hey, they said, what are, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And, and I told them, I said, I said, we're looking at Jesus's words to the church of Thyatira, which is, you know, about sex, money, and power. And I loved my boy's response. Maybe it's what you're feeling right now. Like one of my sons, my oldest son said, Dad, I'm sure the church would be fine if you just skip that one. Like, <laughs> like you, don't, you don't have to do that letter. And my, my other son, Jack, he goes, he goes, Dad, I feel so sorry for you that you have to, to preach. That doesn't seem fair. Like, why do you have to do that? Like, make Brandon do it. And I'm like, I should have I made Brandon do this one. Um, my youngest son, his comment was my favorite. He goes, Dad, are you really gonna stand up there and say the words real sex to them? Which I'm not sure what the opposite of real sex is. Um, but uh, you know, what they, were, what they were getting at was, man, this feels awkward. This feels awkward. Um, if you think you feel it, let me tell you how I feel right now. Um, I, know, I know not many of you are probably jealous of of the assignment that I have this morning. But, but here, here's the truth in all seriousness. I, I'm, I'm so eager and so hopeful for what I think the Spirit of God wants to say to us this morning. Because here's what I found is so often the things in life that I shy away from, the things that I feel awkward about are actually the things I need the most. And that the Lord has this beautiful way of showing up and saying, hey, this makes you feel weird, it makes you feel embarrassed, but I'm not weirded out by these things. There's so much pain, trauma, shame, baggage that all of us bring into a room like this when we have conversations around sex, money, and power. 
And so there's this temptation in us to say, well, then let's just not talk about it here. But here's what I know is we are all talking about these things everywhere but here. And we're, we're dealing with these things everywhere but here. And if we, if we can't deal with these things here, if we can't talk about these things here, where do we deal with these things? Where do we talk about them? Um, this, is, this is not a moment where you know, we're just gonna beat up on people and point fingers. That's not the goal of this. I, I'm excited about this because here's what I truly believe. I believe that nobody loves you, knows you, wants your flourishing more than Jesus. I believe that Jesus is not in the business of withholding pleasure. He's the inventor of it. He's the, he's the creator of it. And that whenever he sets a boundary in our life, it's not to withhold goodness, it's to protect us from pain and hardship and suffering that we could have never seen coming. And at the end of the day, the reason I've been excited about this strange and awkward and slightly uncomfortable conversation letter is because I really do believe that if we would humble ourselves under the Lord and under his word this morning, if we would submit ourselves to Jesus' loving leadership, I believe he will liberate and set free and heal and restore in ways that we can never ask or imagine. I believe this is a moment in time where the people of God have to graciously and lovingly be very steady and firm in our understanding of how we steward things like sex, money, and power in the moment we find ourselves in. Not just for your good and the glory of God, but also for the good of people that are all around you. And so, although it might be a little awkward, here's, here's my prayer this morning as we jump into this letter, is that you would not listen to this on behalf of anybody else. You know, sometimes I hear things like this and I go, oh, I wish so-and-so would hear this. Or what would so-and-so think about this? Just to, just to ask the simple question, Jesus, is there anything you're trying to share with me from your heart to me this morning? Does that make sense? So we're gonna do what we've done the last few weeks. We're just gonna take this verse by verse through the letter. Look at verse 18 with me, a little bit of historical context because I believe context is gonna give us clarity. This is what he says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so each week, as we kind of look at the context, there's just three sort of contextual clues that I, that I want us to see as we begin to unfold this. And every week, Jesus is going to give us a clue about the church, about the city, and about who he is as Christ over our lives. And so we'll start with this piece about the church. He says, these are the words to the church, remember? I've said this every week, and I hope you see the pattern. Jesus is not out in the streets picketing. Jesus is not um, beating up on the culture. Jesus is not lobbing um, uh, cultural grenades. That's not what he's doing. Jesus shows up in his house to his church, and he goes, hey, you're my people who have placed your trust in me as your loving leader, and there's a way of life I want to invite you into. There's a way of life I want to call you to. And he says, everything I'm about to say, he goes, it's, it's for my people first. And so the first context clue as we go through the letter today is just, it's like, okay, these are his words to the church, but not just the church in general, to a specific church that I think we have a lot to learn from, the church in the city of Thyatira. Now, if you've been following with us the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been speaking through his servant, John, 
to these churches on the western coast of modern-day Turkey. And so he's just been following the postal trade route of the day. We started a few weeks ago with Ephesus, kind of the key city of the region. We went north to Smyrna. Last week, we were in Pergamum. And this week, we're going um, clockwise southeast, about 30 miles to the city of Thyatira. Now, uh, just a, a quick word on Thyatira. Of all the cities that we'll look at in this study, it was the smallest and in the eyes of the world, the least significant. It was not a place of great economics. It was not a place of uh, great political power. It did not uh, have an entertainment hub or an education hub or a medical school. It was a blue collar flyover sort of state. It was a, a manufacturing city that was made up of artisan guilds and basically uh, the crime mob. It's like these crime families and these labor unions kind of dominated Thyatira. It was a place that you never went for vacation, but you would probably stop there to get you know, flaming hot Cheetos and a Red Bull to keep yourself awake on the way to the place you wanted to go. It was a stopover kind of town. Uh, you see uh, Thyatira over in Acts chapter 16 where where Paul meets a woman named Lydia in the city of Philippi. She was a fashion mogul. Maybe you remember her story. And maybe you remember this, but do you know what city she was from? Thyatira. And so she was there on business, goes back to Thyatira. In fact, a lot of historians believe that she was probably the one that went back and helped evangelize the city, plant the church, and was one of its early leaders. So kind of this cool cool history around this city. And so this is the context. Jesus is speaking to his church in this blue-collar, crime-ridden, pretty challenging, complicated city to make a living, be a follower of Jesus in. And Jesus goes, and I wanna remind you of who I am as Christ, and he gives these three phrases. He goes, I'm the son of God with eyes like fire and feet like bronze. And we could do a whole sermon on those three images and where you see this throughout the scriptures. But here's sort of my quick summary to give us a, a handle on what he's saying. He says, I'm coming to you as one with loving authority. That's the son of God, loving authority with loving clarity, that's eyes like fire, because I see things as they really are, and with loving judgment, that's feet like bronze. And so Jesus, he sends this letter, and I want you to imagine they're sitting there in their church on that Sunday morning in Thyatira, someone stands up to read, and they go, hey, here's the words from Jesus for us. And here's what he has. He wants to remind us that he is the one that's coming with loving authority, with absolute clarity, and he is coming to bring judgment. And you can just imagine everybody kind of sits on the edge of their seat. And here to the small little church in a small little town, Jesus is gonna write the longest letter that he writes to any of the churches. And he starts with this word of encouragement. And I don't want us to skip over it. It's beautiful. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance that you are now doing more than what you did at first. I love this. Jesus goes, man, there's some amazing stuff happening in your church. Jesus goes, I love this. If I would sum up the way that Jesus talks about them, he goes, he goes you are relationally healthy, you are missionally focused, and you are growing and strong. He goes, you're, you're doing all sorts of things. He goes, it, it, it's amazing the way that you love each other, the way that you love me, the, the way that you're known and the, your fellowship groups are amazing. He says, I love the way that you're innovating and you're serving the poor and you're getting out in the city. He said, you've, you've, you've persevered in the face of persecution and hardship. He goes, you're even, you're even more committed to me than you were at the beginning. Remember to the church of Ephesus, he says, what happened to your first love? To this church, he goes, man, you're, you're more intense for me than you were at the beginning. And so Jesus, he looks at this church in a really complicated culture, 
And he goes, you guys got a lot of great stuff going on. And I just imagine it would have been really fun to have been a part of the church in Thyatira. You'd have been in a small group and everybody would have known your name and loved you. You'd have had great friendships. You'd have gone to the lake together. You'd have hung out. It would have been so much more than just a one-hour Bible study. You'd have cared for each other's needs. You would have, you'd have done ministry in the city. You would have gone after it together. There's a lot about this church. Remember uh, years ago, one of my, my friends who helped us uh, in the early days when we were just starting Ethos, uh, he got a job that transferred him up to Manhattan, uh, to New York City, and he said, hey, I want to find a church that hasn't started yet. I want to get on the ground and help plant this church. He, he had so much fun being a part of what was happening here at Ethos, and so he went up to New York City, and he'd come back every six or eight months and just tell us the stories. Oh, man, here's what's happening. And it was just story after story. He's like, here's what we're doing for the homeless, and here's what we're doing in the school system, and here's what's happening, and here's what's happening in a small group. And he said on Sunday mornings, people will line up outside of church for an hour just to get in, and there's this sense of excitement all around this church that my buddy was a part of. I believe that this church in Thyatira would have been similar. Jesus goes, hey, it's a complicated culture that you live in, but some amazing things are happening he goes, and I want you to know that I see it. But Jesus, in his kindness, he knows that sometimes we can get blinded by our success. Have you guys ever noticed that, how easy it is to get blinded by your success? Like, great things, great things begin to slip when everything's going our way. Um, last week, Sydney was out of town taking care of her mom after a surgery. And so um, me and the boys watched, you know, just like every man movie um, that was appropriate for 12 years old and under that we could find. And so I started taking them through the Rocky trilogy, um, which still hold up, by the way. And uh, we, we were watching Rocky Three, which is this epic movie. Um, I, had, I hadn't seen it since I was like nine years old. And, you know, it's, it's about this boxer, if you've never seen it, and he's kind of climbed his way up through the ranks. And he went from being this tough street fighter to all of a sudden he's really successful, and there's this moment where he's become really comfortable, really successful, and he begins to lose his edge. And his trainer, this old guy named Mick, says this one thing to him that I'll never, it just, I never noticed it because I was nine the last time I watched the movie and I wasn't looking for any sermon points when I watched it, you know, but <laughs> I'm watching this movie and Mick says to Rocky, he says, hey, the worst thing that could have ever happened to a fighter has happened to you. You've gotten civilized. And I was like, oh, that's true. Like, you you, you, you get comfortable in your successes. You get comfortable when things are going well. You lose your edge a little bit. And Jesus goes, hey, I, just want, I, I want to name what's going well. He just sees this church. This is going good, and this is going good, and this is going good, and this is going He goes, but there's this cancer that's eating away at the, the heart of who you are, and if you don't deal with it, it's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. And so it goes from his words of encouragement to his words of challenge, this is what he says, verse 20. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. He says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, into the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, so much we could explore there. You know, Jezebel was this famous queen that was married to this wicked king Ahab who was way back in the history of God's people back in the book of 1 Kings. And she was notorious for using her power and her influence to lead God's people into two huge traps, sexual immorality and, and idolatry. And so, you know, we don't know if this woman 
in the church of Thyatira actually had the name Jezebel. It's hard for me to imagine her parents, you know, when she came out of the wombs, like, what's the name for our daughter? What's the destiny we want to speak over her? Her name will be Jezebel. You know, it'd be like naming your kid Adolf, you know? And so um, would not have been a popular name um, to, to give. So we don't know if this is symbolic or her actual name, but I don't want you to miss what Jesus is saying here. And guys, it's so relevant. Jesus encourages them. He goes, here's the encouragement he goes, you are relationally, you're relationally healthy, missionally focused, strong and growing. He goes, that's good. But here's my challenge for you. In the midst of a culture that is increasing, increasingly complex, you've opened your heart to a false teacher, and that false teaching is eroding your gospel clarity. In the midst of in the midst of cultural complexity, you've opened your heart up to a false teacher. Not in the culture, in your church. You've opened your heart up to a false teacher. And gospel clarity has given way to cultural complexity. And Jesus says, if you don't repent of this, it, it's going to destroy you. And he speaks with such gentleness but clarity. I just want you to hear the loving leadership of Jesus. He's saying there's a connection here in your world between these voices and these choices and these consequences that you're experiencing in your life right now. And Jesus, he loves us enough to point these things out. He says the, the complexity of the city that you live in, in Thyatira, if you were gonna hold down a job, this blue-collar town, you had to be a part of an artisan guild. And the way that these guilds worked is each of the guilds worshipped at the temple of a god in the region. And so you would gather at the temple of that god. You would eat the feast to that god. You would sacrifice to that god. You would sleep with the prostitutes of that temple. All sorts of stuff would go on. You could not be a part of the guild unless you were a part of what was happening uh, in uh, their practices. And you, it was tough to make a living in that city if you didn't participate in what they were doing. And so it was in the midst of that complicated culture where these Christians are going, can I really be faithful to Jesus and still feed my family and still fit in and not get canceled and all of this stuff? You know, they're, they're wrestling with it. And in the midst of that cultural complexity, they opened their heart gently to a false teacher that came in and began teaching the things that felt easier, that felt more palatable, and they went, man, I'll just go along with it because I can survive with that teaching. And so there's just this thing that began to, to kind of stir up in them, this false teaching that said, you don't really have to, to follow the ways of Jesus when it comes to things like sex, money, and power. This, this word sexual immorality all throughout scripture, this is not a full teaching on sex, money, and power, by the way. We could, we could spend a long time on this, but this word sexual immorality that you see throughout the scriptures, it, it literally was just this catch-all word in both the Old Testament and the New Testament to refer to any sort of sexual activity. I want you to just hear me on this really clearly. Any sexual activity that happens outside of God's design, his boundaries for sex between one man, one woman, in marriage, covenant before God, together for life. That's, that's the Christian sexual ethic, according to the scriptures. And that's uncomfortable because all of our lives, in some shape, form, or fashion, have probably been touched by the reality of sexual morality. From pornography to that Christian couple that 
fools around before they get married, to the person that's hooking up on Tinder, to homosexuality, to marital unfaithfulness, to sexting with your coworker. All of these things are outside of the boundary of God's blessing when it comes to how we steward our sexuality. And Jesus had talked clearly on this. Mark chapter seven, Matthew chapter 19, a number of other areas. But Jesus goes, hey, I've designed this. I'm not withholding goodness. I'm not withholding pleasure. I'm trying to protect you from pain and shame and unthinkable hardship that comes into your life. He had taught on sex. He had, he had taught on money. He said, money is not evil, but man, it is a trap. It is seductive, and you were not designed to serve it. You can't serve God in money. Don't store it for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store it for yourselves treasure in heaven, right? Jesus goes, you've gotta be careful how you handle money. Jesus was clear. Jesus was clear on power, Philippians chapter two. He goes, I had all power, all authority. I emptied myself of that power and that authority to bless others. Or in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is gonna say it this way. He says, secular rulers use their power to oppress people. He says, but as for you, the people of God, you use your power and strength to bless people, to lift them up. Jesus goes, there's an ethic for this in my kingdom. We handle ourselves differently as followers of Jesus. And it's costly, and it's uncomfortable, and it's not socially acceptable, and, it, and, it, and it, it's gonna create pressure on your life. But Jesus goes, I love you, and I want what's best for you, and I'm, I'm longing to lead you in the ways of life. And, and he looks at this church and he goes, listen, I know the city that you're in is complicated and that you've opened your heart to a teaching that has muddied the waters. But don't let cultural complexity erode gospel clarity. He says, because it will cost you deeply. And this is one of those interesting moments where, where Jesus he doesn't just stop with a warning. He looks at him and he says, hey, I need, to, I need to help you understand that I'm actually already in the process right now of having to discipline you because you haven't been listening to my warning. Look at this in verse 21. Jesus goes, I've given this false teacher time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, and then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I wanna be really careful here because I'm not, I don't wanna relieve the pressure of God's word upon our hearts. It's a tough saying right there. You know, some people are wrestling with, wait, is Jesus really saying that He's gonna cause her children to die because of her sin. Most actually think that this is referring to her spiritual children, those that are giving into her teachings and following her ways, but there, there could be another element to it. But here, here's what I want you to notice is Jesus goes, hey, I love you enough to not just encourage you and to not just challenge you. Church, please hear me on this. Jesus loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough to discipline us. And discipline comes in all shape, 
forms and fashion, you know, I'll just give you a few words on the discipline of Jesus, his loving discipline. Um, when Jesus disciplines us, it is fair, it is gradual. Eventually, if we don't repent, it will be final, and it is always loving. It, it is fair, it is gradual. If we do not repent, eventually it will be final, and it is always loving. I don't know if you notice this, you know, in the middle of a really hard teaching, Jesus he makes it clear that although he hated what was going on in this church, he loved the woman that was bringing that pain into the church. He said, I've given her chances to repent. Did you notice that? He goes, I've come to her. He goes, I've come to her. I've, I, I, I've, I've given her a shot. I, I want her to come back, but she's, she's been unwilling. She's been, she's been unwilling to return. Um, guys, Jesus is not in the business of blindsiding his people. He, he speaks with such clarity. He goes, he goes I, I'm, I'm fair, but I'm not just fair. Uh, he goes, I'm gradual. He goes, she wasn't listening to me, so I began turning up the intensity of my discipline in her life. Now, I know this messes with our theology, but I just, I just want to lovingly challenge you to just read the scriptures on this. There are moments when God will use pain and pressure in your life as a form of his discipline. That does not mean all pain and pressure in your life is from God. Can you just shake your hands if you understand that? Not all pain and pressure in your life is from God. But there are times when he will use it to get your attention. Just like a parent will slap a kid's hand as they're getting ready to, to touch a hot stove. It's like, no, I don't want you to do that. There are times when, when God will use that in our life. And he goes, I've, I've used this. In Jezebel's life, she's not responding to me. Her spiritual children are not responding to me. And what was fair and what was gradual, if they don't repent, one day it will be final. Guys, it's a sobering thing. I just, I, man, I just love you. I love you. And yesterday I was talking to my, my son Jack's basketball coach. He's an amazing man of God. He said, he said what are you preaching tomorrow? I said, uh, the letter of Thyatira. And he goes, ooh. <laughs> and he's in his early 70s. And he goes, hey, preach like it's the last time you ever get the chance of seeing those people. I'm like, that's a good word. Thanks, basketball coach Joe. Like, that was. <laughs> Guys, hey, I love you. And hey, wh whether you like what we're talking about or not, I'm just telling you, there's going to be a day when you're going to stand in front of Almighty God. And everything you've ever done will be laid bare before him. Every thought you've ever had, everything you've ever said. And in that moment, you get to decide, do I cling to the cross of Jesus and his righteousness and his forgiveness, or do I try to walk this thing out my own way? And Jesus goes, I'm offering her redemption. I'm offering her life. I'm offering her hope. Guys, this is what's so beautiful. Like, we live in a culture. Here, here's one of the great travesties of our cultural moment. Our culture says everything is permissible. Do whatever you want to do with your, with your body, with your life, with your money, with your time. Like, everything's permissible. Sex, money, power, do whatever you want. Everything's permissible. Oh, but here's a catch. Not everything's forgivable. And this is, this is at the heart of cancel culture people just living into this idea that everything's permissible until they realize, oh wait, no, everything's not permissible. And I think part of the reason the whole culture is crumbling is because the ethic of the culture is turning in on itself. And guys, here's one of the great scandals of the gospel of grace. 
is that Jesus goes, no, everything is not permissible. Everything is not beneficial. Everything is not holy. Everything is not for your better, but everything is forgivable. So no matter what dark road you've gone down, no matter what dark thing you've done, whether it was 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago, last night or last weekend, the blood of, the, the blood of Christ Jesus, the Son of God with flaming eyes and feet like bronze is available for people like you and me. And because of that, we don't go with any arrogance into a culture that is turned upside down. We walk in with gentleness and humility and we go, there's a way out. There's a way out of the trap that we've all been caught in. And the way out is Jesus. That's the way out. And he looks at this church and he goes, man, you've got so many good things going on. But you've let the complexity of the culture open a door for false teaching that is eroding your gospel clarity and I'm calling you home to repent. Guys, in a church this size, there are some of us in this room this morning, your life is plagued with sin connected to sex, money, or power, or maybe all three. And we've got counselors, we have pastors, we have freedom prayer, we have everything that we wanna put before you, but here's the deal. I don't want you stepping into any of that until you've gotten on your knees before King Jesus and say, touch me, heal me, forgive me, cleanse me, bring me home. And then we'll run with you forever. Like this is a place, this is a place for all of the people who know they need the touch of heaven in order to step into the place of heaven. And he looks at this church. I love this verse 24. Jesus goes, I got some more encouragement though. He goes, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. I love that. He looks out and he goes, hey, not, not every one of you got caught in the trap of sex, money, power. Not, not everyone got stuck in that. He goes, for those of you that are faithful in the middle of this complicated culture, he goes, here's my word to you, hold on. <laughs> Think about two conversations I had this week with people from our church, a young man on Wednesday afternoon, he and I were hanging out and he was telling me about the last year, how he was given this opportunity uh, to jump out of the business that he's in, to, to go start a new business with several of the guys from his company. And he, but in order to do that, he would have had to really sort of undercut his boss. It would have been legal, but unethical as a follower of Jesus, what he would have had to do. And I said, how do you feel that you made the choice to stay and not do that? And he goes, he goes honestly, it's pretty tough. He goes, because they're just down the road and they're crushing it. <laughs> He's like, they're making a ton of money. He said, I could have climbed up in my power, my position. He goes, it's going really well. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's the cost when you live in Thyatira. That's the cost when everybody's playing the game of sex, money, and power that sometimes as followers of Jesus, we go, you know what? Maybe there's just a, a ceiling here at this company. <laughs> Maybe there's just a limit to how much I can make. I was thinking about a conversation I had with a young woman at prayer gathering a couple of weeks ago. I said, hey, what can I pray for? She said, she said the dating scene is just so tough right now. She said, every time I go out with somebody, she said, they're disappointed when they find out I won't have sex on the first date. She said, then they find out I'm not gonna have sex until I get married, not even gonna fool around. And she said, 
She said, here's what's so discouraging. She said, it's not just in the culture. She said, these are the guys who call themselves followers of Jesus. She said, I feel so alone. And I love Jesus' words to those of us that are walking and those of you that are walking and struggling and going, how do I live faithful in the midst of this cultural moment? Jesus goes, I see you. And his word is, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't give in. Be faithful. Rise up, man of God. Rise up, woman of God. I see you. I love you. He goes, to the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give them authority over nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give them that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Guys, it's so beautiful. I wish we had a whole sermon to unpack this part too. I'm, I'm just gonna say that a lot. I'm sorry. Just so much stuff here. But Jesus looks at this church that's trying to hold on in the midst of it, and he goes, I want you to notice, he does not promise, hey, if you're faithful, then I'll, I'll give you a husband and you'll have great sex for the rest of your life. Like, that's not the promise. He, he doesn't promise, hey, if you hold on, I'll give, you, I'll give you money and fame and power. That's not the promise. He goes, if you hold on, he goes, I will give you myself. And one day you and I will rule together forever. Guys, there is so much, this is a big you know, theological word for you, there is so much eschatological hope in this two or three verses right here, this future-looking hope. We could look at Deuteronomy 32, we could look at Isaiah, we could look at 1 Corinthians chapter six where Paul says, don't you know that we're gonna rule over angels one day? Like this imagery, I don't know what you think of when you think of heaven, but there's these two words that just come to me over and over and over when I think about the future kingdom of heaven and that is relationship and responsibility. That heaven is not gonna be you and I naked on a cloud with a harp singing old songs forever with wings. Like, that's not the picture of heaven. The picture of the kingdom of heaven is you walking in perfect relationship with King Jesus. When he says, I'll give you the morning star in Revelation 22, verse 16, when this book ends, Jesus ends the book by saying, I am the morning star. And so what Jesus is saying to this church that's faithful, he goes, if you'll hold faithful, I'll give you myself. If you'll hold faithful, I'll give you myself. More than you could ever hope for. More than you could ever hope for. And together, we're gonna have responsibility. I think sometimes the reason we chase the things that we do in this temporary life is because we think this temporary life is all there is. Guys, you have eternity in front of you. You don't have to fit in every trip before the summer. <laughs> you don't have to fit in every experience. God's got a plan. He says to those that are faithful, he's gonna literally give you responsibility to help him rule and to govern the new heaven and the new earth. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't trade. Don't trade that eternal inheritance for a gift card at Chili's. Like, you got so much more. Like, I know, I know there's so much pressure I know there's so much stuff on you. Does have ears to hear? Let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Don't let the complexity of the moment cloud the clarity of Jesus in the things that matter. So here's, here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna have a 
time for communion and to receive prayer at the Respond Banner. We're going to end with worship. But I want to encourage you, before you just get up and go and receive communion, maybe just sit there for a moment and just ask the Lord, hey, what are you trying to say to me? There may be some of you that this morning the Lord's just saying, hey, there's some things you need to repent of. Maybe there's some things that you need to lay down at the foot of the cross. You need to just ask Jesus to forgive you for and I want to encourage you, before you even walk to the table this morning, just do some business with God. There's some of you that feel stuck in that unholy trifecta of sex, money, and power, and you don't know how to get out. You need some people to pray with you. There'll be some men and women at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray with you. As you receive communion this morning, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we just come to the foot of the cross going, thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for what you've done. And so let's use this time to minister together. Let's stand up. I'll pray over us and we'll receive communion. You can get in groups and pray right after I pray. You can sit back down if you want. You can circle up. You can come get communion. Come receive prayer. Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Spirit, I love you. And I just thank you for the way that you love us enough to speak. You speak to our hearts. You speak to the moment that we find ourselves in. God, would you just speak into each one of our lives this morning, wherever there is a place of just confusion or clarity or fear where we've gotten caught, God, would you, just, would you just gently illuminate those places with your eyes of fire, God? Would you help us to trust your leadership? Show us your love. God, would you just continue to draw us to yourself? Would you make us humble and gentle, strong and gracious? God, this morning for anybody that's just carrying places of shame, for those areas where we've blown past the stop signs of grace in our life, God, would you help us to just see this morning for the opportunity that it is to be made new, to receive you, to come to you, to be cleaned. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Amen. I love you. Take some time. Sit, kneel, pray, come up, receive prayer, receive communion whenever you want. Uh, we're going to end with a couple of songs here in a few minutes. I love you very much.